What is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Hey, Carter. Hey, Scotty. What's up, man? That is how we're going to start these now. Hey, Scotty, guess what we have this week? What do we have this week? We have a guest. A guest? You know, we had like 40-some in a row, and then we like had a week where we didn't have a guest, and we didn't know what to do. I wasn't a guest, was I? You were totally a guest. A surprise guest. It was kind of a surprise. Well, I didn't get to see the questions beforehand like everybody else on it's our It's because there weren't any questions. There were a couple questions. You know, man, working 40 hours a week and doing this is not easy. You have a job? Um, yeah. Didn't what? anybody tell you a job ain't nothing but work? Yeah. But you need to bring in some money sometimes, right? So where are you off to this week? You said you got a pretty busy week. I have to record this early. Flying up north for a couple days. A little bit of work. Up north? Yeah. Canada? No, no. Not that far. Maryland. That is a ways up there. Yeah. It's far enough to fly. So wait. a song about it. Are you... Are you named after anybody? Gary Scott. Really? Yeah. But your name isn't Gary. My mom didn't like the name Gary, so we went with Scott. My uh, my dad's hero was uh, Gary Scott. So wait, it's number sixty-four R. Yeah. You're blowing my mind right now. So your name Boom. is your name is Scott, not Scotty. That is correct. My middle initial is E, so Scott E. No, 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 no. I spell out Scotty when I like write your name, and you don't correct me. That's, that's my racing name and my announcing name. And you want to know why for announcing? Why? When I first started announcing for Monster Jam, yeah. I go to the announcing summit, and there's like 14 announcers up there, and five of us were named Scott. Must be a popular announcing name. Evidently so. So I said, I'm Scott E. S-C-O-T-T-I-E. The reason for I-E is my dad is Eddie, E-D-D-I-E. His sister's Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E. Penny is the next sister, P-E-N-N-I-E. So Scotty, S-C-O-T-T-I-E. Scott right. E. Scotty. Scotty. I'm just going to start calling you Scott. I won't answer. Why not? That's your name. You know my real name? Christopher Carter. Christofferson. No, it's not. Totally is. It's, it's Christopher Clarence Carter. No. Clarence Carter. Clarence Carter. I be stroking. What you drinking there, Dr. Pepper? The best drink in the world, Dr. Pepper. 23 flavors and it tastes like heaven. If there's any way that anyone involved with Dr. Pepper is able to hear this podcast, we need your help. This is yeah. this is like a dream come true for Scotty to be sponsored by Dr. Pepper, so we need to make this happen. Yeah, I have to have two of them immediately when I wake up in the morning. No way. You don't like crawl out right. of bed and pop two Dr. Peppers. Not at the same time. I crawl out of bed, go straight to the refrigerator, <laughs> and pop a top. I just pictured you like rolling out of bed, double fisting Dr. Peppers. I don't double fist it. I got to take one at a time, but there's two of them back to back, and then I'll do something else. Uh, 23 flavors, and you love them all. Yeah, it tastes just like heaven. Little sweet. The sweet one. Doesn't if Bubba call you a little sweet? Yeah, he does. He yeah. likes it. He thinks a little sweet reminds him of me or something like that, or maybe the other way around, because he knows when I work for him, he has to have Dr. Pepper in the refrigerator or I won't show up. You're working for him this weekend, aren't you? Actually, Thursday 
and Saturday, uh, yeah. two different Harley Davidson dealerships, and uh, we're doing some stunt shows. Nice. So we're not going to just randomly call people? No, we don't have to do that this week. We had fun with that last week, though. I loved it. I loved checking in with Tommy Duma and Brandon Bergen driving his forklift <laughs> down the road. Naked. Uh, naked yeah <laughs> i don't know what he's doing naked in indiana on a forklift but i guess and, we'll never know and carver and the boys looked like they had a good time out there in alton this weekend that, that looked like a lot of fun yeah. one time we're gonna have to go hit that up next year maybe let's do it for the fourth annual we'll be there um yeah no that was great stuff and uh i'd say we probably might need to do that again down the road there's plenty of other people you know that i got more feedback last week after not interviewing anybody than we have in a long time because they that people started throwing us ideas 100 percent. i think that was because because of our question too you yep. know, who would you like to have on off the groove yep and i loved it man i, I love getting the interaction from our fans no, it's always good to hear from the fans, and I and I got a lot of a lot of notes too as well. It was uh, people said they liked the like the conversational approach to what we were doing, and uh, you know we did it out of uh, desperation because we didn't have a guest. But you know sometimes things like that work out and end up being a cool new segment of the show. So maybe we'll do it again down the road. We got plenty of people we can call. And you're getting more comfortable on the microphone. I don't know about that, I'm, but I'm having oh, yeah, fun you're with still, it. You're still sweating. I can see you right now on you, Skype. You can see me sweating. No. Man, it's a lot of fun. I uh, I am pretty nervous a little bit still. I don't know if you could tell it in my voice or not, but I, I, I do have a lot of fun with it. It's it's a little nerve-wracking. I don't know how you do it as, as often as you do and as well as you do, to be honest. You know what? I don't I don't even get nervous anymore. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah. Because I, I used to start shaking. I'd have to switch hands with my... Let's hold the microphone. For, I, don't, I don't know if that even made it any better, but you know what's weird is it's like when I was first getting going, I had to have my clipboard in my hand. It was like my security blanket. Yeah. And if I had my clipboard, had a microphone, I could focus on those things, and and everything was better. Well, so. luckily I've had uh, 43 other episodes where I've I've gotten to banter with you back and forth and plan for these things. So uh, so I think that made it a little bit easier for me. But it's definitely still a little uh, nerve wracking when we get going. But you know, that that should so, go away. Who's going to be on the show today? Oh, you want to know? I do. Since Vince is killing me, I was, it was killing me all last week, and I had to have fun in Vegas without even knowing. Yeah. So, well, so, uh, you know, this is somebody that we've had, you know, we've reached out to a couple times throughout the year and, and tried to have on. You know, when we started the show, we wanted to give a voice to, you know, the people that don't get in front of a camera or in front of a microphone a lot. But, you know, every once in a while we brought in the big names to kind of, you know, even show it out. Right. Um, but this guy's, you know, we talked to him throughout the year. He's, he's super busy all the time. He's doing a lot of things. And I think ultimately you just want to wait till the, to the end of the year until he locked up that championship and, uh, had some time in the off season to chat with us. So Mr. Jared Meese is going to be no our way. guest. Yeah. He's our guest. Are you for real? hundred percent. Are you for real? Yeah. For real, for real. Me and Jared go way back. Actually, I actually married him and Nicole at opening ceremonies at Springfield a couple years back. I thought you Sounds were, funny. I married Jer- Jared. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say I married Jared Mees. That's kind of awkward. Was, can you do that in Illinois? I don't think you can legally. I don't live in Illinois. Yeah. I live in Oklahoma. But you, you can did do whatever it you want. in Springfield. I did it in Illinois. That's there true. So what, what some people didn't know, and that could have been a question for you when you interviewed me, is some, what's something, well, you did ask me, what's something people don't know about you? I I'm an ordained you minister. You're an yeah. ordained minister. Yeah, gotcha. I've, I've uh, actually officiated is what they call it three weddings the ordained minister scott dubler stop it stop talking to me you know i'm gonna bring that up you're gonna see people at the track and they're gonna just say scott no i'm not gonna answer that's great that's telling everyone right now no that's awesome um so you want to give him a call and knock out this interview let's do it all right Hello. 
Hey man, what's been going on? Hello? Who's this? I was, lo I was looking for the 2018 Grand National Champion. Who's this? Mm, he's just waking up. He's just waking up. That means it's time for Timmy Hortons? Yeah, it's earlier. Was it 5.30? Something like that. Yeah, 5.30 my time. P.M. or a.m.? Time to, it's it's a.m. at my house. What time is it where you're at? Mm, man, I don't know. What's happening, man? <laughs> Nothing, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Congratulations on another championship and 10 more Grand National victories under your belt. Uh, has that all soaked in yet? Yeah, I think so. I appreciate the... Uh, Congratulations. It's uh it's sunk in for sure. I think um I think now I'm kinda already worried and, and thinking for two thousand and nineteen. What are you worried about? Uh not worried like uh like worried, worried, more or less, you know, just focusing like worried, you know, like already already focusing on two thousand and nineteen. I gotcha. So let's talk about last weekend a little bit. There's a great big trail ride up in Michigan. It looked like about thirty people showed up. Uh was it fun? Man, it's always a big blast. Um, basically, when I started coming to Michigan, I've been doing it every year. And I've always basically kind of told everybody it's called the Parker Ride, you know, the Scotty Parker Ride, because, you know, he's basically the, the, the guy in, in Michigan here. And uh, he was the guy that kind of kept it going for a long time. So I always call it like the Parker Ride, but uh, he only makes it one of the rides. And uh, Friday anymore, like the day before Saturday, what we call the actual Parker Ride is more of like the younger generation racers and um we kind of get together and hammer out some pretty good trails and cover some pretty good mile miles and then saturday's usually like so many people of all uh riding abilities you know some beginner guys some older guys and sometimes it could get split up and and uh guys are going one way and the other guys are going another and it seems like we always get lost but bottom line is it's a great time and we i always look forward to uh to the up north trail ride or what i consider the scotty parker ride so who was the fastest mm, probably thunder really man smoked us no kidding that surprises me i know he could ride a motorcycle but i guess i didn't know he's that fast in the woods i know he's a, a really good supermoto rider yeah i mean it surprises all of us but it's his story and he'll tell you all about it <laughs> he, probably, he probably has video too <laughs> yep Yep, I figured I might as well just go ahead and say that Thunder was the fastest because if you talked to him, he was definitely the fastest. <laughs> All right, now we know. Now we know the truth. So let's get to know Jared Meese. Everybody knows you as the the champ, but uh, let's start off like, uh, man, where are you born? I was born in Chester County, Pennsylvania, which is uh, basically right outside of where I was raised, of Honeybrook, Pennsylvania. What's it like growing up there? Uh, Amish horse and buggies. So you're Amish? Well, I might be, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, it was never really clarified if I was or wasn't. But, uh, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm Amish, but uh, everybody wants to know what it's like growing up in eastern Pennsylvania, and uh, it's basically kind of the the Amish capital of the world, which is not a bad thing because they're very nice people, very hardworking, and uh, you know the way their property and the way they do things is pretty much top of the line, first notch. So it's uh, not a bad place to live and grow up, honestly. So when did you move to Michigan? I moved to Michigan right after I graduated high school in 2004. Okay. Did you go up there by yourself? 
Yes, I did. Right on. So why'd you move up there? Well, I moved up there for a lot of reasons. Obviously, one of them was Nicole, who is now my wife. Uh, I started dating her right after I graduated high school, basically at the end of uh, 2004. And, um, before I, you know, basically officially was dating her, I was kind of hanging out up here and just found that it was a, at the time was a really good central place to live for the races. At the time, we had tons of races in Illinois, Ohio area, and the traveling from Pennsylvania to the Midwest weekend and week out was kind of getting old quick and was very nice traveling out of Michigan weekend and week out. You just kind of just kind of a total package, really. We just got spending a lot of time up here and then started looking at some houses and it seemed like the cost of living and buying a house up here was a lot less than the area I was in Pennsylvania. So at the time, in the moment, it seemed like uh, a good idea to start uh, start my life here in uh, in Michigan. So been doing that for a few years and then recently would call residents uh, in Florida. Right on. We'll talk about Nicole a little bit later on in the interview, but uh, when did you get involved in motorcycles? Do you remember first riding a motorcycle? Yeah, I actually still remember my first race, believe it or not. It was uh, in Pine Grove, Pennsylvania, and I believe I was six years old. I started off on a PW50, which is basically kind of like everybody's first motorcycle in uh, today's world. And um, started with my dad and uh, went to my very first race. It was a a TT track, actually, and uh, I finished second. And then from then on, we just basically started hitting all the local district races in my area and just kind of came up through from uh, PW50. And then at the time, you know, like today's Cobra 50 back then was like something called an Italian jet. And yep. uh, I don't, you don't see them no more, but that was basically the next step of the PW50. And then it was the KX60, you know, learning how to use a clutch. And then it was a KX80 and then 125, 250 and Rotex and right on up through 83, the whole deal. Did your, uh, did your dad race too? No, that's uh, the, the funny thing behind everything is that he never raced. Uh, he never raced, but if you ever met my dad, he's kind of like uh, a guy you would see off like the son of the Anarchy or something. Like he's full, full bikered out, uh, full long beard, tattoos, awesome personality. Definitely doesn't fit like the image that he has. You know, he looks like the, the bad biker guy, but you know, really laid back, uh, kind hearted dude for sure. And, um, never got a chance to race, uh, himself, but was always in the motorcycles, like, uh, fixing them up and riding them. And still to this day, that's what he does. I mean, he's kind of like the guy that when somebody walks in a Harley dealership or like an Indian dealership and says, Hey, I got this, you know, 1955 panhead or shovelhead or knucklehead or old school motorcycle. I need this done. I need that done. They go, Hey, we don't play with that stuff anymore, but here call this guy. And it's always my dad's business card in that area. So he works on like a lot of the old school antique, uh, Harleys and Indians and stuff like that. And he's the guy that figures out the, uh, the old stuff. So is he still in Pennsylvania? Yeah. He's still actually in the house that I was born into. Wow. And, uh, my parents divorced, when I was young, I think I was maybe about, I don't know, six, seven years old, maybe, maybe eight. I can't, I can't even remember the exact year. I'm sure my parents would know. Right. And, uh, so he stayed there and my mom went off and got her own place and stuff. So, uh, but he's still, he's still at the same place. I was basically brought home to after, after I was born. 
I, I still see him at some of the nationals. I don't see him at every race, but I don't get in the pit area a, a lot. But I did see him at the season finale and congratulate him. And man, the smile on his face, you know, when I shook his hand, he was, he's definitely proud of you, man. That's awesome. Yeah, he is, man. And uh, I owe so much of my uh, success to, to my father because, man, he, you know, he, uh, there were some race weekends we went racing and, you know, I feel like he probably wanted to go more than me sometimes, you know, but, uh, he definitely, you know, was able to, to make me the racer than I am. And he put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into the, every weekend and making sure I had the best equipment that he could provide me. And, uh, we had a, a, a you know, a really kick-ass, uh, amateur career and, and, uh, you know, it was cool cause he was, he was, not the type of father that wanted to hang on the whole time. You know, I think he got me to a certain point and he realized, you know, like, Hey, you know, he's in a better spot right now. And he's going to that next, that next, uh, spot in his career. And, you know, I think a lot of fathers try to hang on to, uh, their son or daughter for so long that I hate to say it like this, but it's almost like kind of hurts them in a way like, man, you know, it's like, Hey, you got them to that point. Now you got to let them go and, and make their own mistakes or try to engage into a, a better deal. I mean, unless you're, unless your mother or father is a, you know, has a lot of funding and a lot of money behind them, it's hard to really take them all the way through to the top because it gets very expensive and you need, you know, good expertise on mechanics and setups and, and funding and things like that. So it was cool that my dad got me as, as far as he could and put me in pretty good hands and then, uh, and, and came to the races and hung out. And of course, if he need, if I needed him, he was there. That's awesome, man. Good story. It is hard for a parent to let go. I know that for sure. And you're going to learn that as, as your daughter gets older. Um, did you race anything else besides flat track when you're growing up? No, I never did. Uh, you know, I was, I dabbled, I didn't really dabble in road racing a whole lot. I did, I did some, uh, track days and things like that on the road racing side of things. And, was kind of going to transition into road racing back in, uh, like 2007, eight ish. Um, I had a pretty good connection with Honda and, um, it was basically right when the bottom fell out of road racing and also the economy. And I, I don't say this in a good way, but I got hurt that year and it set that back. And I guess they say everything happens for a reason. And that might've been one of the reasons because, I would have been just trying to get into road racing as it all fell apart. And, you know, like very successful guys like Jake Zemke and Tommy Hayden and things like that were in jeopardy of a ride and things like that. And, uh, it would have been very tough at this point in time to, to have made it. And then of course, now where I'm at in my career and then looking back on the road racing or American road racing, I'm, I'm really glad that I stayed put and kept going forward with flat track. So what was it about flat track that appealed to you? If you only, you know, dabbled in road race just a little bit. So why, why flat track? Was it all because you were a dad? I guess it was my dad and that's really all I knew. When I say I dabbled in the road racing, it wasn't actually, I never actually road raced. It was a couple track days and was going to maybe try to go that, that way. So I guess I never really tried anything else to see if it would have went anywhere, but I just felt like we were pretty good at flat tracking and it's all we really knew. And, uh, you know, my dad started doing it when I was a young kid and didn't know nothing about it. So, you know, every year that went by, we got smarter and smarter with flat tracks. So I, I don't think it was something that we wanted to tackle. Um, you know, we didn't want to tackle a whole nother deal and basically start over. So I, I guess that's 
why we kept going with flat track. That's kind of a good question, really. Gotcha. So earlier, when we first started talking, you said you met Nicole, and that was one of the reasons you you moved to Michigan. So, when did you first meet her? Do you remember the day? Um. Well, I I mean, I met her when she, we were all on eighties and stuff like that. I guess she would have been like early eighties. I would have been late eighties, you know, and then one twenty five, same thing. And we'd always see each other at amateur nationals, but you know, we really weren't uh, like that close or something. It was basically just she was aware who I was and vice versa. And then um, I guess it was like maybe Oklahoma city at a USA race that we kind of just started talking and hanging out. And then she was just like, Oh, you should come up to Michigan. And her dad was like, yeah, you should come up to Michigan and hang out. So I kind of did that just more or less long, as long as like just friends, honestly. And came up and started hanging out and riding and, you know, met and hung out with Brian Smith and another friend of ours, uh, Jason Hensley, and started hanging out and went to my first uh, up north trail ride, which <laughs> it's funny that every year we go up north and we go trail riding, we bring up the same particular time. And it was like <laughs> my very first time I ever took a shot at Crown Royal and <laughs> like my look on my face, you know what I mean? It was really <laughs> hilarious. And every time we go up north, we we bring this exact moment up and uh and and brian can vouch for me with it he's like man the first time he ever took a swig of crown royal it was like <laughs> it was like uh you know the look on my face and my expression but anyway we went up north on my first trail ride and just was hanging out and before you know it you know it just uh i guess hanging out with a, a cool chick like nicole we found out quick that i guess we wanted to be a, a couple and more of just friends and and I guess the rest is history, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I was honored to be the uh, the man who married you two at opening ceremonies at Springfield Mile, and, and then you had your daughter Hayden on my daughter's birthday. So we have a lot of little connections. It sounds like in Oklahoma City even ties in there back in the day. So uh, she warrants a lot of her uh, her own opinions, so we're going to try to have her on the show at some point. But uh, I'd love to hear the backstory from her and hear her side of the story of how you guys met and everything like that. But uh, let's jump into your racing career and some of your highlights, man. Just stop me if you want to add something because – we don't have a, a whole lot of time to talk about it because there's so much that you've done, but you turned pro back in 2002 in 2005, you won your first grand national at Lima. Do you remember that day? Of course it was uh, a win that I would probably say was not expected, especially that in that time. I mean, I remember we had this huge rain delay and we went out there and they basically shut up, you know, cut everything really close where they took, I can't even remember, but like the top six out of each heat race or something like that. And they get away with semis. And I remember coming off the line in my heat race in like third or fourth and ran everybody down. And I remember passing Chris Carr and turned three and four right around the outside and came in and won my heat race. And I can't remember if I had fast time or not at this time, but I was just like, wow. I mean, you, back then, if you passed Chris Carr, you were, you were doing something. And heck, I think I was 19 years old riding for Johnny Goat. And uh, came off the line and kind of worked my way to the front. I remember passing Joe Cop and then checking out. And I just still still remember, you know, the whole – I just remember the whole feeling and the victory and everything. It was just one of those things where I went to Lima with, like, expectations of hopefully making the main event and maybe running inside the top, you know, 10 or top 8 just because it's Lima and it's a cushion and ended up winning the thing and checked out by, like, a straightaway or something. So it was – 
it was a great feeling. And uh, winning Lima, I still say to this to this day, but like winning Lima just is so is such an awesome feeling. Just the crowd around there and how demanding the racetrack is and how much it changes. It just feels like when you win that race, you just accomplish a lot. Right on. Congrats on that first win. I know that that makes it easier for you and they get easier as they come is what they say. I never won a Grand National, so I'm just going off of what people tell me. But you you rode for Johnny Goad in 2005, 6, and 7. Uh, tell me what that was like. Yeah, I actually rode for him in 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And, oh, okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. And um, it was a great – you know, how I define that was probably the start of my career. And I will say that I probably will not – I would not have been as successful at racing if I never rode for Johnny and, and Sarah. Uh, they had a different approach on – on racing and as far and in a good way, especially when you were young of, you know, you making the changes yourself on the motorcycle on the racetrack, not saying Johnny never wanted to change anything by any means. I mean, we definitely communicated, but when you're that young, you really don't know what communication to give back to a mechanic. And, uh, even I think sometimes that communication wasn't clear, but the fix was, Hey, you know, you need to ride this thing this way, or you need to do this and not worry about that. And really made me, uh, you know, change on the motorcycle. If the lines change, if this changed, you know, I try to use the tools that I have on the, on the motorcycle throttle, you know, the brakes transferring weight to the rear end, steering with the front end. So many things that he taught me and drilled in my head, uh, for six straight years was awesome. And, you know, we went racing and we went racing and lived out of a box truck for two straight weeks and ate out of a cooler and a microwave. And we called it hobo racing and it was a lot of fun. And we, we went and raced every little race out there that paid any kind of money. The Friday night before the Nationals, the Sundays after the Nationals, the week longs over there in Kansas uh, and Norwalk and all that stuff. Like just, just everything. We used to hit all those races and I think everybody kind of knows that that was something I did for the longest time up to about like a year ago. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. And man, I owe so much of my success to Johnny and Sarah. And, um, you know, of course it just came to a time where simple way to put it was the candle burned out. And, um, we, uh, went our separate ways and we're still uh, great friends. And sometimes we talk on the phone from time to time. And, uh, you know, I look, I always look at Sarah like my racetrack mother. They always had my best interest. And they were kind of like a second family to me when I was growing up. I was so young. I mean, he picked me up, basically. I was still a pro-am or a GNC singles rider in today's technology or today's world. So uh, they looked after me and uh, made sure I was always in the best interest. And, you know, I never had any problems at all with uh, motorcycles or anything. They always provided me really good equipment. And... um you know, I have nothing bad to say. Right on. So after you rode for Goat, or maybe partly during while you rode for Goat, you got Harley Davidson factory support. What was that like? You know, getting a call from you know to from the Harley Davidson Motor Company. Yeah, it was good. Um, in two thousand and uh, in six, I believe it was, was our first year with Harley Davidson Motor Company, and I was with Johnny Goad. and it was the, the the support came through Lancaster Harley Davidson, which at the time was. Randy Texter, Shana, and Corey's father. And um, we had uh, one year there with Harley and Lancaster Harley-Davidson. And then 
I switched over to Blue Springs for 2007 and 8 with Johnny Goad. And uh, it was it was cool. I mean, I think everybody thinks that when you get the call from a, a company like Harley Davidson, they think, you know, big, gigantic numbers and things like that. But for us at the time, it was support and it was, you know, better than, than nothing. And it was just a start of something that ended up being pretty good down the road. You know, just like anything, you got to start somewhere. And then uh, seven and eight came around, and it got better and better. And 2009 was even better. But in 2009, I uh, I, I stopped riding for Johnny Goat at the end of 08. And the start of 2009, I was with Craig Rogers. And um, sort of this day with Craig. And at in 2009, we won our first championship together. And Brent R. Brewster was the mechanic at the time. And uh, I was with Brent from 9, 10, 11, and 12. And uh, we won the championship in 2012 again. And then him and I split ways with Craig. And then we brought uh, <clears throat> Mr. Kenny Tolbert on board. Yeah, we could we could talk for a long time. But, you know, that first championship in 09, it's, it's listed as a Twins championship. It's not listed as an overall Grand National Championship. But for the people that, that don't quite understand what happened for those few years back there when Mike Kidd and and everybody else was in charge. Can you explain that quickly? What's the difference between the Grand National Championship and that there was a Twins champion and a singles champion, but not really an overall yeah. champion? Yeah, it's, it's actually something that, man, if there's one thing, honestly, that bugs me a little bit about the sport, and I guess I mean, one thing that bugs me uh, when they announce things and stuff like that, it's probably that, just because uh, – Back then in the day, they 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 wanted to split the the singles and the twins um, up, similar to what they did right now. And the, the only exception was is that on the singles, on the TTs and the short tracks, we rode singles, and on the half miles and miles, we rode the twins. And in 2009, and or it was actually 2006, seven, eight, and nine, it was split, and there was no overall national championship awarded at all and it's unfortunate because if you look at like the media books and stuff like that that they print off they don't even have kenny coolbeth listed in there as an overall grand national champion and in my opinion he's a three-time grand national champion and that's how i look at it and think it because you know he went out there and represented the number one plate and the most prestigious side of things was the twins and we went out there and focused on the twin side of things, of course, the singles as well. We worked hard on both, but the twins was what meant the most. That's what Harley Davidson wanted, and we were sponsored by and won a championship bonus with it and represented the number one place. So for me, it's kind of a little bit bitter that they don't recognize that when it was something out of my control of a, of a championship. So, uh, and really, they, they, re they represent this one as an overall Grand National Championship like in 2017 and 18, but Technically, it should be back to twins because it, it was twins only. So anyway, yeah, back then it was split, and they don't recognize it as part of a championship package. So I still say I was a six-time Grand National Champion because I ran a number one plate now six times. But it depends on uh, what, uh, what where you read it and when you read it and what you read because sometimes it's five and sometimes it's six. So that's, right. that's about the story of it. It's it's debatable, and I've I've tried to explain it to people that don't really know it. It's it's very hard to explain. And and if I remember right, two thousand nine, didn't Sammy Halbert earn more points if you added the singles and the twins together? So shouldn't he be the Grand National Champion that year? Is that how you look at that too? 
No, he uh, yeah, he definitely um he he definitely earned the most points, that's for sure, but it was definitely decided at the beginning of the year that there was no overall Grand National Championship going to be awarded just singles and a twins. So that's that's the biggest problem that I have with it was like, well, these are the two championships and this is the way it was and there was nothing going to be awarded secondly. And, and there wasn't, you know, it's unfortunate for Sammy because, um, you know, he did what I've done the last couple of years and as well as the other greats. But at the beginning of the year, they said these are going to be the championships and this is what's going to be considered as the champion. And we went and fought hard for what we thought was the most prestigious side of things and got the job done. And then here we are, you know, 10 years later, and um, it just kind of feels like it doesn't mean as much as what it should have been and what it should did and what it did mean at the time. So that's the unfortunate side of things is that there was a lot of money spent and a lot of uh, effort put in to win that, what they call a, a, a twins championship. I call it a, a championship and they don't even, you know, it's not even, it's not even recognized on a, on an article that AFT would write. So that's like I said, that's, that's the gist of it. And, uh, it was definitely a huge hurt to the sport. I feel like on, on many levels. And, um, you know, at this point in time, I can't change anything. I just went out there and, and raced the classes that they said that they were going to award championships in and got the job done. Right on. So you mentioned a little bit that you got hooked up at Tolbert and I'm looking at your career. You were winless in 2008, 9, and 10. And then all of a sudden in 2011, you win five races. So how did that happen and why did that happen? Um, in 2008, I got hurt. Uh, I was hurt pretty good with some knees and things like that. I had a, it was probably the worst year, uh, uh, worst year of my career. And then 2009, we won the championship, but obviously we didn't win any races. And then in 2010, same thing. I was, man, oh, so, oh, so close. Um, and then in 11, we came out and won five. I don't really know why. Um, just finally was able to break through. I was just kind of on a dry spell, I guess, for a few years. And was so close so many times on the miles and half miles and everywhere, TTs. And then uh, 11, we broke through and did five. And then, I don't know, 12, we did one. So uh can't really say why we came out and won five races. <laughs> won five races and didn't win the championship that year. Right on. But it's just a breakthrough season. Then, of course, 2012, you, you won your first Grand National Championship title. You won one or two races for a few years, and then you won titles in 14, 15, of course, 17. You won 10 races last year, winning the inaugural Daytona TT. You won the, your first you know, championship on an Indian motorcycle. And then again, in 18 this year, you know, 10 wins you know, out of 18 races. It's incredible what you did the, you know, at the for the first part of the season, for sure, just it seemed like it didn't matter where we were at, you were winning races. So what sticks out to you the most out of these championships? Is anything just really stick out to you? I think on a personal level, I was trying to get a grand slam in a single season, and we were able to do that in 17 and 18. So that was kind of really cool to do. There's been very few uh, riders to ever get the grand slam in a single season. There's definitely quite a few that's got it, you know, total over many years. But in a single season, it was uh, – it was pretty cool. And from what Bert Sumner says, which he's kind of like the, um, the, he's record, the, guru. the record keeper. Yeah. He's yeah. the guru. Yeah. Uh, I was the first guy to ever do it two years in a row. So that was kind of cool. You know, of course they're just kind of personal records and just more or less something you can just kind of say, Oh, cool. That's cool. I did this. I did that. I mean, 
there's no there's no trophy or no check or nothing like that with any of them but uh they're cool to do of course but um i would say those are the ones that stick out and of course winning daytona i mean you know you work so hard and everything gets so hyped up for daytona and daytona's daytona especially inside the, the speedway there so winning those races is uh is really rewarding and then for me this year my favorite win was probably lima um I let, you know, promoting the the event and then uh, winning the event was pretty cool. And winning it my fourth time is awesome. And uh, I don't know, like I said earlier, when you win that event, it's just, man, it's so rewarding feeling because it's demanding and the track changes and you got the cushion and the pea gravel and the fans all around. And it's just, it's just a badass event to win. I love it. So let's talk about 2019 and beyond. So there's a lot of changes for next season, you know, some different races on the schedule. Uh, are there anything, anything changing on your end or your race team or anything that you can talk about? No, uh, nothing really at all. Um, still going to have Kenny and Bubba as the main guys. And then Jimmy Wood um, is going to, uh, you know, work on the suspension side of things. Craig Rogers and Steve DeLorenzi are, big supporters of mine and friends and they're on board. And then of course, Indian motorcycle, we're back uh, linked up again. So not much really going to change. I mean, we're going to continue to work hard to, to be better than what we've been. And uh, we have got some things up our sleeve that we want to try and play around with that. We finally got done and accomplished. So pretty excited for that and uh, see what's going to come. Right on. How do you feel about Brian going green in 2019? Uh, I feel like, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know. I, I, I have a feeling that, uh, he's going to end up getting back on an Indian myself. Um, hmm. but, uh, right. I mean, I think he's going to go out. I think he's going to go out and I think he's going to have some really good rides on the, on the Kawasaki at some races. And there's no doubt that that Kawasaki is fast and it's going to be pretty solid, but, you know, it's uh, it's a Grand National Championship, and man, that Indian works pretty darn good at at, at, at just about everywhere. And um, I think uh, I think he's gonna be uh, gonna be back on that Indian a lot sooner than what people think. Um, but I think for him, I think it's what he needed. I think he needed something different mentally uh, because you know he ended so well on the Kawasaki, and he ended up getting the Kawasaki better and better at the half miles, you know, where I went out when I was riding the Harley. And I think he ended on a really high note with the Cowie started on the Indian and then kind of ended on a bad note on the Indian, not in a bad note, but just like, you know, he felt like he couldn't uh, get the job done like he could on the Cowie. So he's kind of reverting back mentally to what got him there in the first place. And that was the Kawasaki. But I think, um, me personally, I, I, me and him were so close on the Cowie versus the Harley, right? Like, I mean, we were neck and neck, the miles, he was a little bit better. The half miles, I was a little bit better. And I feel right now, not just because Indians sponsor me, but I feel like right now today I'm better overall everywhere on the Indian versus my Harley. I mean, there might be like one track where I feel like I could go just as fast on the XR as I could uh the indian maybe one or two tracks at most and then everywhere else it would be like man i don't even want to touch that thing at the end of 2016 when i was like testing the indian compared to the harley there was i mean santa rosa i was literally flipping the quarter in front of me literally gonna ride the indian 
at Santa Rosa that last year because when I tested at last, I was so much faster on the Indian than I was my Harley. Uh, I was going, you know, I was going into Santa Rosa going, dude, that motorcycle over there is better. And here Joe Cop was riding it and did very well on it. And uh, anyway, long story short, it's, it's really good for the sport. I think uh, it's what Brian Smith really, really needed and wanted to kind of get his head back into the, into the game mentally. And uh, it's, like I said, it's awesome for the sport. Ricky Howerton does a great job on, on the, on the builds of those things. And I guess I'm actually really excited to see the bike. I mean, you know, Ricky's craftsmanship is top notch. So I'm pretty excited to see the bike and, you know, whether it goes around the track, good or bad, you know, the thing's going to be a fine piece of art to look at. Absolutely. So uh, tell me about your team. I mean, how, you know, you say Craig Rogers came on board and then, you, you know, kind of built it, you know, Arm Brewster was there for a while and now you got Kenny Tolbert, you got Bubba. How do all those pieces fit? I mean, tell me, tell me how you make everything work. I mean, Kenny Tolbert's a guru. He's, he's a proven champion with Chris Carr, but how did, how did they all get put together? At the end of 2012, me and Brent kind of just, just weren't seeing eye to eye anymore. And, you know, he was, he was awesome and he was really good at the bikes and man, my stuff was always top notch looking good. And we just both needed to change. We were just like, we were at each other's throats. He lived in the same zip code as me and we were like a, a rock throw from one another. So we rode to the races together. We rode home together. We seen each other a lot. It was just kind of like, we were, we were just kind of burned out, I guess. But anyway, got with Kenny and <clears throat> you know, I, when you have a guy like Brent Armbruster, who's a very good mechanic, it's, it's hard to go out and find somebody to, to better that, to better Brent Armbruster, you know, and I definitely didn't want to take a step backwards as far as a mechanic and a guy to work with. And really the only guy out there that stuck out that I felt like was as good or, you know, I'll say it or better, uh, was Tolbert. And I mean, he at the time had nothing going, he tried to do something that year with Brad Baker in the beginning of the year, but it kind of fell apart. So we called him up and said, dude, you interested in doing something? And he says, yeah, I'm interested. Let me give you a call back and think about it. And three or four days later, he called back and <laughs> you know, Kenny, he's got that Southern accent, that Southern <laughs> Texas in him. And he was like, I ended up answering the phone when it was Kenny. And he was like, I want to win all their money, kick all their asses and win every race. And, and I was just like, and he had that Texan, you know, and it was like, it was like fired me right up. I'm like, right on dude, let's go do it. And right on. Uh, we took off and we started racing together, of course, in Daytona. And it was at, at the time with singles and twins. And I was preparing my own singles. And of course he was doing the twins had some bad luck that year. I broke my arm and, in, in, uh, I think it was Ashland, Ohio in an outlaw race, had to sit out a couple races, came back and won, um, a race at the mega mile there at the end of the year and got the, you know, got the race with Kenny all year long and learn one another and then came out in 14 and 15 and won the championship and was healthy. Right on. So, you know, the other pieces just fall together. So something I've admired about you for a long time is, is you run your race program like a business. I mean, you're, you're one of the first flat track guys that I ever heard of that's hired a personal trainer. You go after sponsors and you, you grab the sponsors. You do a lot of appearances. You sell some clothing and stuff like that. So where does that business mentality come from? To be honest with you, I, I don't really know where it comes from except for 
trying to do the best I can do and be the best I could be in the sport. Um, you know, I just felt like, uh, the old famous saying is if you want it done right, do it yourself. And, um, rather than have somebody try to do everything for me, I just felt like every time I would ever have anybody help me, it was like, you know what? I could do, I could do this better than you. You know, I'm just going to do it. And, uh, and I just, I made mistakes and, and got told no and, and failed at some things and learned from them and built myself back stronger and just got it done. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of money in the sport back then to, to have like, in my opinion, managers and things like that. And, I'm sure my team and most people that really, really know me, they would call me relentless and then they would call me persistent. And, uh, I definitely wouldn't stop calling somebody until it was no. And, uh, heck, even if they, uh, wouldn't answer my call, I'd just call on a different number or block it until they answered it. So it's like, <laughs> I just, you know, just, just, I guess simple thing to say is I just got it done and had that mentality ever since. And, uh, I was a wrestler in high school and, you know, you have to be relentless to be a good wrestler and just, I guess, just got it done. I don't know where the business side comes from, except for it was fun to learn what to do and not to do and and uh, fun to try to, to build a a bigger, I guess, arsenal. And, and yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, I don't know where it comes from, the answer. It's just uh, hard work and, and some mistakes along the way. And became pretty good at it and uh, haven't been able to find anybody to do a better job than myself. So I just keep doing it. Well, hard work's definitely paying off. It definitely shows too. So let's talk about Lima. We heard the backstory of why you love the track so much, but a couple years ago, you and Nicole decided to take it over as promoters. Um, are you still loving it? Do you regret doing it? Is it, is it fun? I mean, tell us about promoting Lima. Um, well, Dean and Barb Gallup, uh, came to me and said it a long time ago and said, you know, I only got a few more years here until I'm probably going to give it up and try to sell the rights to it and things like that. And I went, well, let me know when you want to do that. Cause I'm interested. And, uh, everybody that ever been to Lima knows that the crowd is always really good there. And it's a really good event. It's always the very consistent date. It's been running for a long time. I mean, Lima's badass. And, um, so he's like, yeah, no problem. Well, then that time came and he says, Hey, you told me you wanted, uh, you wanted me to present you this and this is what it was. And we sat down and went over the numbers of course, and had to make sh sure that it made business sense. And Nicole was, uh, done racing at the time. And I think she was kind of looking to do something as well and sat down and came up with a good plan and made it work. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy that we did it. Of course it's been, it's been fun. We've been making the event better and better. We've had we got three years under our belt. So I think anybody that's ever been there the last three years can definitely agree that it has improved. Uh track, lighting, just just everything, ticketing system. You know, it was it was ran a very old school way. Not that that's bad. It was just old school and we're trying to give it a facelift and do the best we can. Uh, we definitely face some challenges for sure with the fairgrounds and of course, American flat track wanting certain things. And, um, you know, it's, we definitely have a little bit of a challenge in front of us and, and on certain things, but we do the best we can with what we got. And I think it's a lot of fun. And I think, uh, if you were to take a poll from most flat track fans that go to all the races, I would have to say that most of them would probably pick Lima as the favorite and, uh, I hope to keep it going. I hope so too. It's, it's, it is different, Jared. It's the only, you know, real pea gravel cushion, 
you know, race on the schedule. I know Meadowland has had a little bit of a cushion too for a while, but uh, I, I hope that racetrack, you know, that race stays on the schedule as long as we can. Um, so let's talk about Tim Hortons. You seem like you go there every morning, every morning on social media, and and you prank the guy, the guys or the gals in the drive-through. How did that get started? <laughs> um, I follow this guy that kind of does something similar. He's got a different approach. He's got more of like a like a southern cowboyish kind of swang to him. So then I just kind of took some of the stuff I've seen him do and kind of created into my own thing. And uh, it now just is turning into if they can pick it up or not. And uh, they're pretty good anymore. I mean, they basically got me and they, I ordered the same exact thing every time they got to know my voice. And then I got this really cool Ford Ranger. I mean, this thing is like state of the art, man, 1998 (laughs) Ford Ranger. I yeah. mean, a couple more payments and it's all mine. I had to refinance it a couple of times, but <laughs> it's freaking, it's pristine, man. So yeah. they look out the window and they see this, this green Ford Ranger and they see it's me and then they mess with me back. So believe it or not, it's kind of turned it into a, uh, a full on laugh out loud type of thing. I get more people that comment and give me thumbs up on my stories rather than win a national. So. I guess I got something going on that side of things. They really enjoy it. You should hit them up for a sponsorship, you know, a Timmy, Timmy H sponsorship. Man, I'm trying. I'm really am. I mean, I just got to try to find, I just got to get Tim Horton's number and give him a call, I guess. And yeah. I don't, I don't have it. I, I figured you already had that number and I figured you've been calling it already. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't blocked the number yet to give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I have to get on that one. Yeah. That would be All cool. Right. That, that would really put a lot of laughs on people. Huh? Yeah. So it's time in our episode for Graham's question. And she wants to know, how are you going to deal with Hayden when she's on the racetrack? Well, Graham, I hope Hayden doesn't race motorcycles. And hopefully by the time that she's kind of wanting to start riding a little bit, I can be maybe more on my way out <laughs> of the, of the sport. So hopefully she's uh she's a, a gymnastics expert or heck I'd even take like, Ronda Rousey UFC fighting or something rather than let her race. Wow. All right. So now it's time for our rapid fire questions. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you the question. Are you ready? Yeah, man. You rode for two of the best tuners out there, Johnny Goad and Kenny Tolbert. If you had to choose yeah. one, who would win a hot dog eating contest? <laughs> hot dog eating contest. Uh, Johnny Goad. All right. Who's your toughest competitor? Toughest competitor ever was Kenny Coolbeth. Right on. Which championship are you the most proud of? Mm. Uh, 17 or 18, probably just because of the domination. I mean, you're always proud of the first one, but the dominate, the domination ones are, uh, a lot of fun or, or, are probably the most, uh, memorable, I guess you could say because of Indian, and now that the sport's got a lot of hype, I would say those 17, 18. Right on. Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Man, I had Dunkin' Donuts the other day, and it was terrible. But, man, every time I, every time I ever drank Starbucks, it's been second place. So, um, McDonald's. <laughs> I was figuring you'd say Tim Hortons, <laughs> but I, I love it, man. Um, what's your favorite motorcycle that you've ever ridden? Um... 
probably man, back in the day, Johnny Goat had this J and M Framer Honda. It was this? It was a Stroker. It was stroked out to a five hundred. Uh, that was pretty memorable. And then, of course, um, the Indian. Yeah. Probably the Indian has been the the best to me. Uh, I just had a lot of fun memories on that little Honda that he built. But probably the Indian overall. Gotcha. What's your favorite track of all time? Lima. You've broken a ton of records. What's the next one you're looking to break? Scotty Parker's and ten, ten cha- uh, nine championships. Okay. All right. Um, I, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting something on the win list, but okay. How much longer do you think you're going to race? Um, well, I'd like to go until I'm 40 like Colbeth, but I don't know if I'd be able to like put up with everything for that long. I mean, not not that that's bad. It's just, you know, it's just a lot anymore with the the traveling and the, um, the racing. And then, you know, now I got a family and things like that. So, you know, I guess, I guess I'll go, I feel like I'll go as long as I'm feeling successful and I'm still able to make money and, and, uh, you know, basically, you know, I don't really feel like I want to go to the races and, you know, I want to go to the races and have to win the championship or win races. You know, I want to go as long as, I can't do that anymore. And uh, when I'm not having fun, not making any money and not competitive anymore, I guess it's probably time for me to roll. Gotcha. Who's the next Jared Meese? Um, hmm. I think most people would say, dude, there's only room for in this world for one Jared. Meese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to probably have to say right now, probably Briar Bauman. Um, Briar Bauman or the real kid that's uh, going to turn heads, but I think he's going to go road racing. I don't blame him as Tyler Scott. I do too. I, I hope he sticks in dirt track, man. That little kid is so fast. But, uh, man, we appreciate the time. And, and uh, I know we, we tried having you on for quite a while, and I, I definitely appreciate you spending time with us. Um, I know you wanted to wait until after you, you sealed up the championship, and we definitely appreciate the time. No problem, man. I had a good time doing it. I like your questions. They're really unique. I get uh, I get bored of the same reporters asking me the same thing, you know. What's so good right. about the Indian, you know, things like that. Right. So right. awesome job, Scotty. Thanks a lot for having me on. And uh, to all you guys that are listening and yourself, Scotty, uh, happy holidays coming up and look forward to next year. Thanks a lot, Jared. I've got one more question for you. Who in the flat truck community would you like to have us interview on Off the Groove? Hmm. What guy would I like for you to interview? I'd say Tolbert, but you'll never get him to get on the phone because he just doesn't answer it. And I'd love to hear Bubba Bentley's uh, southern accent get on there and talk because it'd just be funny. Sounds good. We'll reach out to both of them. We'll see what we can do. Jared, thanks so much for your time, man, and good luck in 2019. Hey, man, thanks a lot. Have a good one. You too. I just want to say thanks to Jared for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us. I know he's got a lot going that on. That dude has always and, got a uh, million things going on. So it's pretty cool that he took the time to, to chat with us, man. And, and I, I love the interview personally. Like, I'm glad we asked those kind of questions to Jared because, I mean, those are the questions that, that he doesn't get asked every time. It's always good to hear a little bit more about the people that, you know, you see all the time. And I, I, I heard stuff I've known for three years. I heard some stuff that I didn't even know, you know. So the that back, was cool. The, the backstory is really cool. I love 
how he mentioned his dad got him to that spot yep. and then let him go. Yep. And I've watched it, especially in motocross, more so in motocross and supercross, and then some flat track, the dad will just try to be there because he wants to be there for his kid. I totally get it. Yep. But at some point, to go to that next level, you have to let them go to a professional mechanic or a mechanic that's been around the block or a race team that can take care of them. And some some dads just can't let them go and, and do that. So yeah. I love the conversation that he had about his father. And, and like you said, man, Nicole warrants her own episode. I mean, she's got a whole story herself. So I hope we can get her on next year, you know, maybe before Lima to promote the race. Not that they need any help promoting that Lima race. It, it usually sells out. But uh, it'd be good to hear her story, her side of, uh, you know, when Jared met Nicole type thing and uh, she's got a pretty decent racing history of herself she's got a pretty decent very, racing career so very fast the, the racing lady was very fast so yeah. it, it will be cool to catch up with her a little bit later on and and uh, also you know to talk about Lima yep um, so last week we asked our fans who they wanted to have on off the group we got a ton of responses from our fans on this one you know most of them were written you know a lot of people because well, a lot of people don't don't want to call in because they think they're going to talk to us we're not going to answer just leave us a voicemail. <laughs> it's just I a voicemail to call in so bad i know we get like 90 percent of the responses we get are either in the comments or you know just texted to you or me um which is fine message. i mean it's yeah, um, right. we're glad that people are engaging that's exactly what we did this for but we'd love to have this segment be your voice it's the voice of the fans so don't be afraid to call in you don't have to say your name you don't no. say where you're from except for I, I do want the kentucky mud flap to call back in because it's been a while since the kentucky mud flap's been my favorite so far him and my, uh, my, and morgan michler's calls are pretty funny too they are pretty funny he's a funny dude yeah most of our responses are texted to, to scotty or me but you have called in for a few let's check them out all right Hey guys, uh, you were asking for fans' ideas for uh, who to talk to in the off-season. Uh, my personal favorite would be Mike Lawless, Dr. Corsman. If it were not for his writing and his blog, I would never have heard of American Flat Track and the family and all you great guys. There are so many characters to choose from. But like I said, if it weren't for his writing, I would never have heard of you guys. Throw my two cents in. Thanks. Hey, why don't you guys call up some old guys like old seven-time champion Chris Carr or Scotty Parker? I'd love to hear what those guys have to say. Scotty, Chris, I would like to hear you interview Shana Texter, uh, Sandriana Shipman, or my all-time favorite flat tracker, Brad the Bullet Baker. Okay, thanks. Bye! Hey guys, you should try and get Brandon Robinson on the show. I was fortunate enough to meet him in Oklahoma City, caught him out there tacking, stacking some tear-offs, and it seems like a really, really laid-back dude. He's funny as hell in his interviews on TV, so I think he'd be really entertaining for the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. Brandon Robinson, we haven't had him on yet. It'd be great to talk to B-Rob, see what he's doing for next year. I mean, I think he's back with Harley, right? But I don't know. I've heard some rumors about something happening. You've always heard rumors. I love it. Well... There's rumors with his name swirling around, but I, I, I'm pretty sure he's got one more year contract with Harley Davidson, but yeah. maybe we get him on and confirm that. That'd be great. No, and, and like we said, I'd love to talk to Kenny Tolbert. That's been another suggestion. Some other people have, have recommended uh, Robbie Bobby. You know Robbie Bobby? Robbie Bobby's hilarious. He's yeah. from Florida. Actually, he's actually promotes races. He races. He rode racing one the other day. Oh, he's that, the dude uh, that had the, the laying out picture, right? Like, yeah, the uh, full spread. He's yeah. a funny dude. Yeah. We should definitely have him. Yeah. Um, who else, dude? Anybody that you want to talk to that we haven't talked to that's not on our list already? I really want to talk to Kenny Tolbert now, especially. Yeah. Kenny Tolbert, yeah. if you're listening, man. That's like four times you said your name here this episode. So, Well, that's it for this week, man. We, we, we got the well, champ, Jared Meese. 
Well, we talked to Jared Meese, who yeah. won the Twins Championship. I think we need to talk to the singles champ, Dan Bromley. That's a great call. We've actually reached out to him throughout the season, and, you know, he's been pretty busy, too. But uh, hopefully we'll get him on this offseason. I'd like to hear what he's doing for next year. There's definitely plenty of time. We've got all of October, November, December, January, and February before we're racing again in March. What are we going to have him call in for next week? For this week, I think we asked fans, who's your favorite rider of all time and why? Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. You don't even have to talk to us. 904-395-5956. Do you want to tell me now who your favorite rider is or do you want to save it till next week? I'll save it. I don't want everybody else to know. All right, that's fine. We'll, we'll talk about it next week then. I have a favorite rider. I know you do. I do. I do. I got a couple of them, but there's one in particular that I'd, I'd probably call my favorite. What are you, uh, you're going to work for Bubba this weekend? Thursday, I'm with Bubba in College Station, Texas. And then Saturday, I'm with him in Burleson, Texas at two Harley Davidson dealerships. We have some stunt shows planned. You're, you're a busy dude. I guess. <laughs> I never thought I would get paid to talk on a microphone. <laughs> I never thought I'd talk on a microphone. My, my dad said he took the brick off my head and I started growing. All right. Better let it go. This is a, it's been a solid episode, dude. I'm pretty stoked on this one. Let it go. Oh, let it go. When Scotty starts singing, that's when we call it a day. I don't know how to sing. All right. We'll see you guys next week. I'm calling it a wrap. That's the end of this episode. You're going to rap for us? No, I'm not going to rap. You're, you're singing, and that means we're done. You better cut that. All right. That won't make the episode. Or maybe, Good. maybe it will. No. Talk to you next Friday. Talk to you next Friday. Off the groove. Are you trying to get the last word? No. Nope.